1: It's uh, 3.06 on the 6.30 chat afternoon news. Jalen Nye, Andrew Gross. Well, we all know that uh, creatures come out at night, but the city of Edmonton wants to know how many and what kind.
0: Starting next month, urban wildlife officials, along with researchers from the U of A, are launching a new program aimed at trying to get a better understanding of wildlife movement in our city, especially at night.
1: Catherine Shire, the principal ecological planner for the city of Edmonton, joins us this afternoon. Catherine, nice to finally be able to uh, hook up with you.
2: That's wonderful. Thanks so much for having me.
1: So let's start with this. I guess, you know, first off, why? Why is why is this important to, to track the wildlife in the city?
2: Yeah. So the key thing is, believe it or not, is public safety. And so in uh, the early 2000s, the city recognized that with further and further development, we kept on encroaching more and more on some of the natural areas that citizens were actually asking to save and so we needed to understand as urban development approached those natural areas how could we make sure that both people and wildlife were safe to move through the city and so uh... with increased development we see more negative interactions between Mm -hmm. wildlife and people whether that uh... be through wildlife collisions which in alberta they're Mm. increasing at an extraordinary rate or the interaction of pedestrians Mm. with wildlife and so we wanted to know where they are and how can we make sure that we can Design our city in a way that encourages wildlife movement safely through the city, and still allows wildlife to stay because people care about our wildlife. There was an interesting
1: number in that one report that you had sent me about the, um, the I think it was the 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 collisions with wildlife since 2000. Was it 2000? I can't remember. It was something like 70,000? Is that yeah and
2: that was only between two thousand and eleven and two thousand and fourteen wow. in alberta there 's been over seventy thousand wildlife collisions mm-hmm. and in Edmonton we're also seeing an increase and in two thousand and seven we started what we call a wildlife passage program uh, and in that time we saw an increase in our population of 160,000 people but through appropriate urban planning and instituting appropriate movement areas for wildlife, we actually decreased the number of wildlife collisions by 51% between 2007 and 2013. Now we can't take all the credit (laughs) (laughs) and uh, some critics might say, well maybe they're not there anymore Mm. and that is one of the reasons why we actually were like, well let's get on the ground and let's have a look to see what's there.
0: So I know you have done the program yet but would you suggest that Edmontonians are would probably be surprised to learn just how much wildlife activity there is in our city at night
2: I think they are and this is something that we we do we try to get an understanding for how wildlife might move through the city but we actually don't know where are some of the key areas through our mapping and through our our really good um ecological reports that we have we have an idea of where they we think we should be as well as local naturalists who are real experts they can say that's an important um area for deer in the winter please protect that (laughs) and so what we actually want to go out now and let's get some feet on the ground and really identify uh those areas that are important that we have to keep an eye on
0: but you're talking about a sort of a you know, reaching a point of a a level of cooperation with wildlife. Is that the idea behind this? Or could you suggest that perhaps you need to move the wildlife?
2: Well, so the thing that I've learned, especially in a city that has our beautiful ribbon of green, is that if you want to retain the ribbon of green, you're going to be retaining wildlife. Hmm. And so we need to plan for it rather than react to it. Um, And so some of the initiatives that we're doing, such as either through our, mapping or our desktop analysis we've kind of modeled out wildlife corridors and now we're getting to understand where are those areas that wildlife like which areas do they avoid? And most importantly, what areas might they get trapped or lost or confused in? Because we'll often all hear, you know, of this moose that's caught mm. on the Anthony Henday. Well, we want to understand where did that moose come from? And is there anything that we can do with our existing bridges or underpasses or wildlife passage to make it more attractive to keep the wildlife within the river valley?
1: in the river valley itself, obviously, that you know, a huge wildlife passage in in this city. Are there some other ones that are very, very important as well that you can tell us about?
2: Yeah, so in 2007, the city moved to an ecological network approach to planning in the city. So just like we have transportation networks and drainage networks, we also understood that if we wanted to retain a healthy environment for both people and wildlife, we had to Think about our ecological networks. And when transportation networks bisect those, um, Mm. we need to plan appropriately. But with respect to your question of outside the river valley, absolutely. So our neighborhoods, our newer neighborhoods are being designed to maintain ecological connectivity for the smaller critters, in particular um, birds. Mm -hmm. people love to have their birds. They love to see the woodpeckers. And so we want to encourage natural areas in neighborhoods that people can both enjoy and also bring wildlife into their neighborhoods.
0: Hmm. Do you also want to discourage, uh, you know, garbage being left out and coyotes getting into it and and that sort of thing? Because some of the plans you're talking about, of course, are big picture plans where the city can plan. Um, But there's small picture plans that have changed the habits of an animal like a coyote, right?
2: Absolutely. And this is we're really excited about this project because it has actually given us an opportunity to work more closely with the university of alberta in particular dr colleen st Sinclair who is known for her urban coyote research. Mm -hmm. And so uh, the city has a small number of wildlife cameras that we're contributing, but she's also contributing about 54 of them Mm. to help us understand how do coyotes move through the city and not necessarily... Coyotes are highly adaptable, so you'll (laughs) often see them in backyards and in alleys, and they will often congregate around those areas where there might be compost bins. And what she found out in her research is that the 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 ones that aren't as healthy often get pushed into those areas and so how can we try to encourage that wildlife to stay uh closer to our our natural areas and also how can we we need to find out where they are so that we can help educate Edmontonians.
1: <laughs> Sounded like they were in my backyard last night. They were pretty noisy around 1.30 in the morning down in the River Valley last night. It was quite something else. Um, I, a couple of texts coming in, Catherine. Can you talk about some of the rarer animals that are in the River Valley, the, the, the ones that we you know, might see out of the side of our eyes once in a while or, or never at all, but you might be able to see on some of these cameras, especially at nighttime?
2: yeah well this is going to be interesting because obviously our cameras cameras is easier to collect pictures of things like deer and coyotes and those items that are uh much larger but i am hoping that we can identify you know do we have some weasels in our (laughs) neighborhood where are the skunks where are the badgers um a lot of our our um are probably our smaller critters like our voles and muskrats we won't be able to identify through these cameras But uh, there are a lot of critters that really, right now, at this point, we don't know how many we're going to see, but the potential, we have the potential to just see, you know, up to 40 mammals, if we set our cameras right. And we've got, you know, potentially 178 bird species in the city. And so that's one of the things that we're working with. Um, The researchers are also contributing some ARUs, which are audio uh, recording uh, units. And we can set them up in a natural area and leave them alone for a month. During the spring, and I and then come back and figure out okay, what birds are there? Hmm. Are there sorry, are there cougars in the River Valley? I believe I. It is highly possible. I believe we have seen one in my history with the city. Huh. Uh, are they common? No, but the important thing to remember about Edmonton is that we're on the North Saskatchewan River, which is a major kind of wildlife highway, and it. I wouldn't doubt that uh, coyotes might poke their heads in every now and again. um, Cougars.
1: cougars.
0: Catherine, is this a first-of-its-kind study, or do you have earlier work to compare it to so you know how the numbers have changed?
2: Yeah, before we started getting into this and thinking about um, investing in this more on-the-ground work, we did a lot of work on what we call a desktop analysis. So basically uh, using our vegetation mapping, as well as some of the academic research that's out there that shows how wildlife moves through cities, we basically created a resistance map of the city of Edmonton. And in wildlife studies, there's a new, not so new, but there's a technique using circuitscape, which is basically using electrical theory to try to figure out how wildlife might move through the city, pretending like they're electrons, And through the city, you can identify what areas, certain wildlife, whether or not that be chickadees or coyotes or deer, what habitats they prefer, and what is the resistance between habitat patches. And so using that analysis, we're actually able to very uh, clearly target and efficiently target those sites that we think there might be problems. Hmm. And those are the areas that we're going to be
0: targeting. You'll, You'll be moving your cameras around, I would assume?
2: Yes. That is the goal, although uh, since we've actually indicated that we're doing this, a lot of collaborators have come out, and so we've actually quadrupled the number of cameras that we're able to put out. So right now we're going through this site selection and identifying where we can put them. So there's a lot more spaces than than we previously thought. (laughs) And so it's going to be all on public land, and our goal is to capture pictures of wildlife.
1: Hmm. What can uh, Edmontonians do to better help wildlife in the area?
2: Yeah, well, that's actually another project that we're working on and we're going to be sharing our putting a lot of our vegetation mapping up on open data on the city's open data portal. And in that people will start to understand which neighborhoods are closer to natural areas and how their mature urban tree canopy can help support <laughs> wildlife. Um, the one thing I would like to encourage is that um, wildlife are high, very adaptable and we have noticed that in some areas where we've had coyote conflicts it's often because there are very very well-meaning people who are worried that the coyotes might be hungry when it's really really cold Mm. uh, and that actually causes some conflict and so these are some of the areas and that's one of the reasons why we want to get some wildlife cameras into some of these neighborhoods to identify you know where how far out do these coyotes go uh, and and to help us educate
0: Edmontonians. We've and certainly heard those problem. kinds of stories in national oh, yeah. provincial parks, where people think they're helping out by feeding the bears. Yeah, we've seen what happens. Yeah, there. exactly. Uh, are you looking for suggestions from the public at all in terms of uh, if somebody feels that there'd be a good location for a camera because they've witnessed a lot of uh, wildlife activity?
2: Yeah, actually, there was. A, we were in the journal last week, and we've gotten so much great information from folks and they are uh, I'm happy to receive emails about those opportunities and I share them with our research folks over at the University of Alberta and those will all help us um, identify areas where we should prioritize
0: and what's that email
2: you can email me at, uh, oh, God, I was hoping to have a general email. Oh, nothing like put me on the spot. But it's C-S-H-I-E-R at Edmonton.ca. There you go.
1: Well, you know what we need to do is send uh, Catherine that picture of that uh, footprint that was in Gord Steinke's backyard. Remember from uh, earlier in the winter? It was no. massive. Oh, really? Yeah, it was massive, and we put it out there on, on our Facebook page and everything and on Twitter, and we couldn't figure out oh, what I it do was. Oh, I remember
0: that. Now, yeah.
1: he's kind of more short park. He's on the edge mm-hmm. of uh, Edmonton. But yeah, no one could figure out, Catherine, what this critter was, but it was... Uh, some people guessed Bigfoot. Yeah, it was, it was something else. Uh, Catherine, thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. Good luck with the project and really looking forward to seeing uh, the results of it and uh, seeing some of the photos of the critters that... Uh, the critters that are walking around.
2: Yeah, that would be great. And, you know, if I could just say one other thing, is that in the fall, we we are working with the Alberta Biodiversity Monitoring Institute to test out their cool new wild track system, Mm -hmm. which is really an opportunity for citizens to get engaged and maybe help tag some photos or for more uh, advanced um, birders, for example, who know bird calls to provide them an opportunity to help us to sort through some of the recordings we might
0: get. Through. Well, no, you're your probably not aware of this, but Jaylen and I actually <laughs> does, and it's an elk call, isn't I it? I do,
1: we have a remarkable elk call. Did you okay. want to run it by the it? expert? Uh, you know what, Catherine? Just say no. <laughs> please, <laughs> please. See, it's very popular. Catherine, I did it on the air for the first time last week. It will never be repeated. <laughs> 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 Thank you so much for joining us, Catherine. Much appreciated. Thank you. Have a great take, day. take care. Uh, 3.20 on the 6.30 Chat Afternoon News. Thanks for that. <music> Look at all the text coming in.
0: Mm-hmm. Lots of people Thanks telling us again. their wildlife stories.
1: Brian says EPS shot and killed a full sized cougar a few years ago in the 107, 151st
0: area. I remember a story like that.
1: And this one, one of my friends has a video of a wolverine in his backyard in St. Albert three years ago. Climbs his fence and then leaves.
0: It's uh, kind of um, crazy sometimes. Hey, like even in a nice, uh, you know, not nice, but uh, developed neighborhood like my own where you sometimes see, like I told you one day, Hunter walked out the front door and walked right back in again and said, there's a coyote on the porch. Uh And it was just (laughs) sitting there. I don't know why. Yeah. Or that big owl that was on the uh, roof mm-hmm. of our garage, taking a look at the I, uh, cats.
1: I would like to see more owls. And I, I, on Facebook, I've got a number of friends who are photographers and that sort of stuff, and they seem to know where to find them or what to. I, mm. I, I find uh, owls spectacular. I, I find I, I love birds, mm. but owls I find quite spectacular. But I've never, I've never seen one. I've heard. I heard one last night at, at nighttime. Like, but I've not seen one just in a tree and uh, hanging out somewhere. We have. Uh, I've hun- seen at the at the Wildlife Society, yeah. but not in nature.
0: Hunter graduates from university next year. Mm-hmm. So this is how long we've had this birdhouse he made. <laughs> Probably I uh, grade three or four. Yeah. Right. Um, I, to the best of my knowledge not been used, but a family of finch has uh moved oh, into it. Oh, the redheaded finches? Yeah. Yeah.
1: They're chattery.
0: Are they ever? Yeah. At six in the morning. Yeah. But anyways, it's just weird that, that we've not done anything different to it, never changed yeah. it. Um, but for whatever reason this year they decided to uh so well, I have the,
1: the tree swallow box in the backyard, which is yeah. blocked off from the from the dogs. First year, put it up, didn't get anything. But now for the past three years, I've had returning. I have to clean it out because I'm running out of time. So yeah. you have to clean it out. But I have another one that one of our listeners made us up on one of the big pine trees by the fire pit. And it has never been used um, until two years ago. Then the finches moved in. Yeah. And they didn't come back, and I don't know if it was because the swallows were nearby, but the finches—it was really quite something else for about one month in the backyard. But there were just birds flying all over and chattery, chattery, chattery. So I don't know how they pick that sort no, of stuff and where they go.
0: And it lo- always looks like they won't fit in the little hole, right? Oh yeah, it it but they do. <laughs>
1: and I sit there with my bird binoculars. Yeah. Okay. And I watch, and I usually <laughs> name the birds, the mom and dad, uh, every year. And I'm coming in, I was like, in the hole! Every <laughs> time, and Coach just was like, really? Like, it's three uh, months of this, night?
0: Yeah, well. He's such a lucky guy. Three years for me. Uh, <laughs> He's hey, not been birdwatching watching. I wanted need. to mention this real quick, because uh, I think it's worthy of mention. You know the Boston Marathon took place uh, this past Monday, yeah. April 16th? Uh, Desiree Linden becoming the first American woman to win the Boston Marathon in 33 years. But it's the person who came in last that's such a great story. It's a mom from Boston. Usually is, yeah. Yeah, Her name is uh, Mary Schurtenlieb, I want to say. She's beaten cancer three times. (laughs) Yeah, originally diagnosed about five years ago with the type of leukemia called AML. She's had two Mm -hmm. relapses, but she wanted to do the marathon to raise money for a charity to uh, address that disease. Her doctor said it would be okay, but it wasn't the best of days for the Boston Marathon. It was right around freezing. There was freezing rain and wind, and in fact 10 percent of all the people who ran in this past one had to seek medical attention so it was a, it was a tough run uh, but she did it and um apparently at one point had to stop um it, as i say she was uh she but she refused to quit she, she stopped waited for the rain to end um several hours later and then then ran another going. eleven miles. Good for her. She crossed the finish line at just after midnight, about thirteen hours after yeah. she began the race. Her husband by her side, and she raised a ton of money for research. Her goal was fifteen thousand. She ended up bringing in more than forty thousand.
1: Wow, good for her.
0: Yeah, it, those stories, stories like, are the... I, exactly. I just love stories. And it was with
1: that. the the fifth anniversary of it was the fifth anniversary this year of the bombing as well yeah, at the right. at the marathon. Yeah, uh, it's three twenty seven. Let's take a quick break here. Um, you talked about raising money, when the um, GoFundMe page for the um, Broncos, the Humboldt Broncos, went offline last night at midnight, over 15 million dollars mm-hmm. raised. We'll take a break here. When we come back, we'll uh, catch up with Reed Feist from Global National. The latest on Humboldt.
0: The 6:30 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye and Andrew Gross weekdays at two on 6:30 Chad.